guys. I'm Monica Crowley, and this is the Monica Crowley Podcast. Thank you so much for being here with me on this Tuesday as we begin a brand new week. Always happy to have you on board. This is your go-to for hot liberty, a safe space for all of us thought criminals, independent thinkers, and happy warriors. Don't forget to check me out on social media. On Instagram, I am at Monica Crowley underscore. And on Twitter and True Social, I am at Monica Crowley. Also by email, you can reach me at Monica Crowley Podcast at gmail.com. Drop me a note. Let me know what's on your mind. I love hearing from you guys. All right. We've got a couple of big things coming up tonight. Yours truly is going to appear on the world-famous Tim Cast. I'm so excited to join Tim Pool on TimCast tonight. I am headed out there to uh, close to Harper's Ferry, West Virginia. I'm headed out there. I'm going to be in studio with Tim and the crew, and I absolutely cannot wait. So all of you guys, I want you to all tune in. Check it out. We're going to have an incredible conversation. You can find it at TimCast, T-I-M-C-A-S-T, TimCast.com. And it runs live tonight and every night from 8 p.m. Eastern Time to 10 p.m. Eastern Time, 8 to 10 p.m. tonight, Eastern Time. And for Tim's premium members, we're going to do an additional like 20 minutes after 10 p.m. for you guys. So check it out, TimCast.com for the live event between 8 and 10 p.m. Eastern Time tonight. I will be on set with Tim Pool, and I absolutely cannot wait. I've been so excited about this for so long. He is amazing. The show is amazing, as many of you know. And if you don't know, go check it out and start listening tonight. So I will see you there. All right. In the meantime, uh, later this week, we're going to be joined by the one and only Riley Gaines. Riley is going to join me here on the show on Thursday to talk about her fight where, you know, for a very long time, she's pretty much been the only female athlete to stand up and say enough, enough of having dudes compete with us, taking away our titles, our rankings, our scholarships, our future, the future that we have worked so hard for our entire lives, just being stripped away from us by some sort of Marxist social engineering BS. She, for a long time, was the only one to stand up. She is no longer the only one to stand up. You have other female athletes coming forward, but the environment is still pretty inhibitory for anybody who wants to speak up and say the truth, which is, yes, men and women are different. Boys and girls are different. The biology is different. Adai. But you can't say it in this day and age without the risk of being canceled, um, having things taken away from you, your reputation, your future. Well, Riley said enough after she had a dude, Will Thomas, who now goes by Leah Thomas, actually tie with her for a championship uh, uh, race. And so she has had enough. And she will tell us the moment where she just snapped and said, enough of this fantasy land that everybody is being forced to live in. If you want to make a choice, that's fine. But the fact that these choices are being inflicted on the rest of us in order to reorder society, 
This is a form of cultural Marxism. We've talked about it before with Ollie London and others, but Riley Gaines has directly been impacted by this and faced severe consequences for her courage in standing up. So Riley is going to join us. I can't wait for that conversation, too. That's going to be super fun and super important. That is coming up here on Thursday. Next week, Jesse Kelly is going to join us. He's written a very important new book about American communism, about American Marxism. You know, I've been talking about this for uh, longer than I want to admit and longer than I wish I had to. I've been talking about communism in America And now, because we're at this tipping point, other people like Mark Levin wrote a brilliant book about it called American Marxism. Jesse Kelly has his new book. It is uh, more and more people are now stepping forward to raise the alarm because the hour is very late. So Jesse Kelly, (laughs) the one and only... He is also just amazing. He's going to join us next week. We've got so many other big guests lined up, too. Jack Posobiec will join us. Uh, Matt Gates is going to be here. You know me, Park, who escaped from North Korea, for goodness sakes. And she has been raising the alarm about what is happening in the United States of America um, in terms of the encroaching uh, communism, Marxism. I mean, we got to call it what it is, guys. This is, uh, I've been doing this for a long time. I got a lot of slings and arrows, um, including, you know, for years on Fox News, like, oh, Monica, communism, pff, what are you talking about? So, you know, when I try to interchange it, like, oh, communism might be too hard a word, people might not get it. So then I was like, well, socialism, let's, let's use a softer term to try to get people to pay attention. No, no, it's full-blown communism slash Marxism, and now it's married to the very dark forces of globalism, the World Economic Forum, the World Health Organization, so many of these globalist institutions and these globalists who are on the outside of government but have tremendous influence on moving the United States and the world to this one-world government, this massive surveillance state. Klaus Schwab, Bill Gates, there are so many of them, George Soros. So now you've got uh, Marxism, the global Marxist revolution, which is married to the American Marxist revolution, that is married to this globalist Great Reset agenda. So we are on this show, we are all calling it what it is because we need to educate people as to what is actually going on here and then how we turn it around. That is the mission of this show. So we're bringing on so many guests who get it. All right, so you're going to want to stay tuned for the upcoming shows here in the days and weeks ahead on the Monica Crowley podcast. And make sure you tell all of your family, friends, colleagues about this show because the more people we educate, the better chance we have of turning America around. But again, we don't have much time to do it. All right, first up today, the Monica Memo. So yesterday was the 22nd anniversary of the terrorist attacks of September 11th, 2001, where we saw four planes um, wreak absolute devastation and take out about 3,000 people, mostly Americans, but there were some others who were killed that day as well. Downtown New York, uh, the World Trade Center, the Pentagon, And that field in Pennsylvania, Flight 93, where the passengers on that flight rushed 
the cockpit, knowing that it meant certain death for them, rushed the cockpit, uh, overcame the terrorist hijackers. The plane crashed into the ground. Obviously, everybody killed instantly. That day, one of the darkest days in American history. But now, 20-plus years on, there has been some revisionist thinking on that day and why it was allowed to happen. Now, a lot of people are saying it was allowed to happen. Maybe by the same forces that we are dealing with today, the globalists, the military-industrial complex, the Marxists, the global, quote-unquote, elites who are actually in charge. Now, I don't know. I don't know. We talked a lot after the fact about the failure of the intelligence agencies in this country, the failure of law enforcement in this country to identify, track, and apprehend, and ultimately preempt the 9-11 attacks. There was a 9-11 commission afterwards that said, oh, all of these walls between intel and law enforcement uh, helped to create this environment where they couldn't communicate with each other. So if the FBI located a potential terrorist, tracked terrorist activity, they couldn't communicate with the NSA and the CIA, and we got to fix that and all of that. I don't know. But in retrospect... Knowing now what we know about the deep state, about the military-industrial complex, and what they are all capable of, I'm sitting back now and I'm going, huh, hmm, I don't know. I don't have any answers to this, but I do know that the fallout from 9-11 has been extreme and devastating. And before we get to what Biden actually did yesterday, which is beyond disgraceful, I want to read you from The Federalist, which is an excellent website, um, a piece published yesterday by Sean Davis, who is also superb. I'd like to get him on this show um, at some point very soon because he is excellent. So he posted an article at the Federalist yesterday, and it was called, Was 9-11 the Beginning of the End of the American Empire? And I recommend it to everybody, but I just want to read the beginning of this article to you. Quote, Was 9-11 the beginning of the end for America? In the 22 years since the attacks, I've begun to worry that the answer to that question is yes. It spawned the worst and most destructive foreign policy in the country's history. The government response to 9-11 birthed the constitutional abomination that is the modern warrantless surveillance state. The Patriot Act enabled the government to weaponize its vast resources against its own people. Bush's failed foreign policy led directly to Obama's presidency and indirectly to Biden's, both of which are responsible for diminishing the U.S. at home and abroad, militarily and economically. After two failed forever wars that wouldn't have happened without 9-11, our government is now desperately trying to foment a potentially nuclear forever war against Russia. Meanwhile, all the massive surveillance powers claimed by the U.S. after 9-11 are being ruthlessly deployed against American political enemies of the regime via the most insidious censorship industrial complex the world has ever seen. 
And then there's the crippling legacy of debt enabled by America's response to 9-11. Not content to spend trillions on poorly thought-out invasions of Iraq and Afghanistan, our leaders spent as thoughtlessly at home, creating insane amounts of new entitlements while doing nothing to put the country on a sound financial footing. And where are we today? The ruling political party is criminalizing its opposition and attempting to throw its top political opponent and his supporters in prison, all under the guise of, quote, democracy. While the national unity in the days after the towers fell was unfortunately fleeting, the changes to the country, its laws, and its leaders were not. And he goes on, it really is an excellent piece, Sean Davis at The Federalist, so please go read it in its entirety. But I wanted to bring it to you, at least the beginning of it, because it really does kind of frame where we have been in the last 22 years. And so I am not a 9-11 truther. I don't believe in those conspiracies. But I will tell you the framing of that event in retrospect, knowing now what we know about what the deep state is capable of, how they operate, how they are absolutely ruthless and straight-up evil, I would not be surprised if that attack were allowed to happen by intelligence, by the deep state, by the military-industrial complex, because they needed another forever war, guys. Think about it. Dwight Eisenhower, when he left the presidency, warned of the perpetual military-industrial complex, how deeply entrenched they were, how they were the deep state, which he said in not so many words, but that's what he meant. And they need these forever wars to go on and on to enrich and empower themselves. And political leaders love forever wars because they can redirect the American people's attention elsewhere. So while they're doing grave damage here at home, you're distracted by a war abroad. This is the wag the dog theory, right? When a political leader is in trouble, they go and attack, you know, some foreign country without provocation. Now, 9-11 was definitely a provocation. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying when you start to think about what the deep state, the military-industrial complex, needs in order to survive, enrich itself, empower itself, and move on. Well, then all things start to look mm, like maybe the, the official narrative wasn't actually true. Or maybe much of it wasn't true, or at least some of it wasn't true. Think about it this way, too. You know, a lot of people talk about the horror of September 11th, but then they talk about the incredible unity that happened on September 12th, where all of us came together. And it didn't matter race, ethnicity, gender, political party. It didn't matter. We were all together waving the flag, right? At that moment, and in the weeks and months after that, we experienced maybe the greatest amount of unity and political capital that America has ever had or likely will ever have again. And that 
sense of unity and political capital was given to the Republicans who happened to be in power. It was George W. Bush. And all of it was pissed away on these wars for nothing. I'm not saying that we shouldn't have gone into Afghanistan and taken out Al-Qaeda. Absolutely. But then what? Then a 20-year occupation? And then going into Iraq, which I supported at the time. But in retrospect, huge mistake. And we were lied to about that as well with the WMD, etc. And it was cast to us in very logical terms. Like, oh, we just suffered this massive attack, 3,000 dead Americans in the street. We need to do this. So even if Saddam Hussein had nothing to do with 9-11, he is still building WMD. And as a preemptive measure to save American lives, we need to go in. That's how it was sold to us, and it was perfectly logical at the time. This is what the deep state does. They're masters of disinformation, lies, and deception. And that, of course, led to the construction of a national security apparatus that would eventually be turned on you and me. The people that elected these people in the first place. And, of course this national security apparatus being turned on us is being executed by unelected bureaucrats, these shadowy figures like the Peter Strucks of the world. But all of this was done after 9-11 for the purpose of protecting against potential terrorists, right? Hmm. Well, after the 9-11 commission, were those recommendations actually put into place? A lot of people argue no. And if the actual objective was to protect the American people and the homeland against potential terrorists and terrorist threats, well, President George W. Bush could have built a border wall. And he could have deported every single illegal alien in America and everybody in this country would have cheered him on. That's how much political capital he had. He was at 85, 90, 92% job approval. The country was behind him, Democrats, you name it. Everybody was behind him after this attack. He could have used that political capital, built a border wall, locked down everything, deported every single illegal immigrant in this country, and everybody would have backed him. He could have done whatever he wanted. As a country, we could have done literally anything we wanted to. And the approval rating would not have dropped, say, lower than 80%. And instead, he and they did not. They went into Afghanistan. Okay, fine. But then they squandered the sense of unity, the sense of cohesion, the political capital that they were granted by this horrific attack, and they pissed it all away in Iraq. And, and you know, doing things like the Patriot Act that was then turned on us. This is where we are right now, 22 years on. And in retrospect, doesn't it all make total sense now? They need these forever wars, and that is maybe the biggest reason, and there are many, But this is maybe the biggest reason why they hate Donald Trump and why they have to 
eliminate him from the political scene because Trump was all about peace. And he was like, look, if, if we get hit, I will not hesitate to use American military force. But right now, these forever wars have to end. I'm bringing our troops home from Afghanistan, home from Iraq, home from all of these bogus places and forever wars around the world. We're done. Military industrial complex, the deep state didn't like that one bit. Trump was putting them out of business and peace was breaking out all over the place. Can't have that. Trump was also telling the truth about all of them and their dark motives. Can't have that. Got to eliminate. Got to remove him, destroy him from the political scene. Cannot have him out there telling the truth about all of them and their dark secrets and dark motives and putting them out of business. Mm -mm. Not acceptable. Speaking of the uh, deep state and the puppets that they use to affect their dark agenda, Joe Biden. So Joe Biden had an absolute catastrophe while he was abroad in Asia at the G20 press conference in Vietnam. They literally gave him the hook. Karine Jean-Pierre literally brought up the music and said, okay, that's it, guys. While the president of the United States, air quotes, was on stage rambling incoherently. Like a bad vaudeville act, they literally gave him the hook. So he gets on a plane, Air Force One, to come home, stops in Alaska yesterday on 9-11. Joe Biden is the first American president since 9-11 happened to not attend any official event commemorating the 9-11 terror attacks. Nope. Instead, he was in Alaska after he just screwed Alaska and the rest of us by revoking all remaining leases to drill for oil and natural gas in the Arctic Refuge. Did you know that the United States is sitting atop more natural energy reserves than any other nation on the face of the earth, including Saudi Arabia and Russia and Venezuela and Nigeria and the rest of the energy-rich countries around the world? We have the most. But Joe Biden will not get the energy out of the ground, refuses to. So he just stuck it to Alaska on that and then lands there for a pretty chilly reception. But he was there instead of New York, Washington, or Pennsylvania. Why? Because he is despicable. And you want more proof of that? Just think back to his catastrophic withdrawal from Afghanistan, which led to the deaths of 13 brave U.S. servicemen and women. And when those bodies came back to the United States, he stood there and he looked at his watch. When can I get out of here? This is boring. Mm -hmm. He is a despicable human being. You want more evidence? Well, I mean, there are reams of it. But what he did yesterday while he was in Alaska, instead of at an official 9-11 site, you know what he did? He struck a deal with the world's biggest state sponsor of terror, Iran. I wish I were joking, but unfortunately, I am not. 
On the anniversary of 9-11, Joe Biden struck a deal with Tehran and the terrorist theocracy that runs Iran to release to them $6 billion in previously frozen assets. And he's doing a prisoner swap with them as well. Again, announced on the 9-11 anniversary. Isn't that special? This is what he thinks of you. This is what he thinks of America. This is what he thinks of our Constitution. This is what he thinks of your personal safety and that of your family, making deals with the biggest state sponsor of terror to release $6 billion to them yesterday. And you know what the Iranian government said? They were like, oh, we're really psyched to have the $6 billion, and because there are no strings attached, we can, quote, spend it on whatever we want, meaning their nuclear program and terrorism. So when an Iranian uh, terror plot blows up your family, Joe Biden has that blood on his hands. When an Iranian nuclear missile lands on your head, you will have Joe Biden to thank. This is perfectly along the lines of what Barack Obama, Biden's boss for eight years, did with terrorists, that prisoner swap with Al-Qaeda and the rest of it. They are wholly anti-American. Don't you see? They are not on our side. They are actively working against us. And I know that's very difficult for the American brain to process. But they are actively working against against us. And then there's the story about the New Mexico governor, Michelle Lujan Grisham, who declared a public health emergency. Oh, does that sound familiar? A public health emergency over gun violence. So instead of a manufactured virus, this emergency, quote unquote, in New Mexico has to do with a manufactured gun crisis. So she used her emergency powers to issue an emergency order to suspend the right to carry firearms in most public places around Albuquerque and the county, the surrounding county. It's a 30-day public health order issued last Friday, but all hell broke loose Uh, after she did this, because, of course, it's totally unconstitutional what she did. And the sheriff who oversees the county that includes Albuquerque, New Mexico's largest city, uh, vowed yesterday not to enforce it. And you know who else said, don't enforce it, or I'm not going to, is the county's top prosecutor and the Albuquerque mayor and the city's police chief. They all said this is unconstitutional. We're not going to do it. You have gun rights groups uh, sued within 24 hours. Good for them. But she is pressing on while all of this uh, supposedly goes into effect. Then you had Democrats within about 24, 36 hours come forward and say this is not a good idea including this kid, this gun control activist, David Hogg. Everybody knows him. Uh, He survived a mass uh, school shooting, and he became like the voice of the kids and uh, all of that, leading the big marches. 
Um, Even he came out and said on Twitter, quote, I support gun safety, but there is no such thing as a state public health emergency exception to the U.S. Constitution. Other Democrats use the exact same phrase. So the DNC points, or at least the leftist talking points, went out and everybody got them and they use the exact same language there. But when all of this falls into place like this, You've got to understand that this is all coordinated. Now, people are calling for her to be impeached. Others are calling for her to be arrested. All totally legit for what she's done here. But take a step back and understand what this is really all about. This move by her was a trial balloon to test the reaction, to test the poll numbers manufacture a crisis. This is what the left does. Now, remember, Saul Alinsky, the godfather of leftist activism, his famous phrase was, never let a good crisis go to waste. And I added to that, even if you have to manufacture one, which is what the deep state, the left, the Marxists do all the time. They create a crisis. This is what the COVID-19 emergency was all about. So they manufacture a quote-unquote crisis. They instill fear because fear is government's most effective weapon. They put into place unconstitutional crackdowns. They seize your freedoms. And they institutionalize tyranny. And then they do it all over again. Wash, rinse, repeat. They did it after 9-11. We're still in the middle of those consequences. Those consequences are going nowhere. They did it during COVID, and we're still in the middle of those consequences, and those consequences aren't going anywhere. And this gun move in New Mexico, there's a reason they tried it in New Mexico and not the Northeast. They put it out there to run it up the flagpole and see the response. And when they do this, When they go through this process of creating a crisis and then taking your freedoms, the next thing you know, your freedoms are gone and your country is gone. They create the crisis out of thin air and then they go down the tyranny path. And the next thing you know, you're looking at and you're, you're trying to play the game like according to the rules, go to court, sue her to stop her. They never ask permission and they never ask for, for forgiveness. They just plow ahead with their tyranny. And they keep moving the Overton window and they keep moving the, the goalposts away from freedom. And that's why we are where we are. So understand exactly what is going on in New Mexico. All right, let's hit a quick break. When we come back, we're going to be joined by Congressman Andy Ogles of Tennessee, one of the real America First fighters in Congress. We'll talk to him about what is going on in Congress. They are back this week. God help us. Uh, And we'll get his view of the Biden impeachment because Kevin McCarthy said, "Okay, yeah, I think we're going to go ahead with an inquiry. I mean, we are wasting so much time here, but let's talk to Congressman Ogles about what he's hearing on Capitol Hill about all of this going forward. Also, guys, don't forget, I'm going to be on TimCast tonight, 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time, TimCast.com. All right, sit tight.
Well, I'm delighted to welcome back to the show Congressman Andy Ogles. He represents Tennessee's 5th Congressional District, a Republican, of course. He is a member of the House Freedom Caucus and of the House Financial Services Committee. Before being elected to Congress in 2022, he served as mayor of Maury County, Tennessee, where he earned national prominence for opposing COVID lockdowns. We're going to talk to him about this because it looks like we could be headed back in that direction. Uh, Before that, he also served as executive director of the Laffer Center, and we love our good friend, Art Laffer. Congressman, it is so good to have you back. Well, it's it's a pleasure to to be be with you, and I just I appreciate all that you do. You know, as a conservative warrior myself, it's nice to have those voices out there that that speak our language and can really educate the 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 electorate on why it's important to be engaged and why we're doing what we're doing, why we're fighting. Yes, amen to that. And that's why you do what you do in the halls of Congress and in your great state of Tennessee. I love Tennessee. And it's why I do what I do on this podcast and television and radio and the rest, because we need to educate the American people as to where we are in the country right now, because the hour is very late. And I know that you get that. I know that you understand the nature of the enemy within, and you're fighting it every day. So we really appreciate you. Uh, Let's start with something that you are leading the charge on, Congressman, which is the articles of impeachment against Joe Biden. Talk to us about how you were really right out of the gate as soon as you became a member of Congress, uh, filing uh, impeachment charges against Joe Biden. We are now in the new uh, legislative session here, Congress coming back uh, this week. Talk to us about where we are on impeachment of Joe Biden. Well, you know, like most of America, you know, I, I realize the truth that this this gentleman has uh, the, the president has sold out our country and he's guilty. Uh, so we need to move forward with impeachment. Uh, you know, and look, the, the Democrats weaponize the impeachment process against Donald Trump, whether you like Donald Trump or not, doesn't matter. But they use it as a, a weapon. What we're trying to do here is bring to, to lay out before the American people why this this guy really doesn't deserve to be in office. And quite frankly, I think has betrayed his, his, his country, our country. And so uh, once I began to see the evidence, millions upon millions of dollars uh, pay to play, uh, pay to access for access to the White House and, and political favors, I was done. So I, I offered forward, put forward the articles of impeachment because I can tell you in Tennessee, we want impeachment. We want it now. No more delays. It's, it's go time. And look, and I've, I've made it very clear when we get back uh, tomorrow. Uh, or uh, this week, uh, if, if there isn't a clear plan to move forward with an impeachment inquiry, I will go. I will use the nuclear option. Uh, I'll use a privilege mo- motion, and I will force a vote on impeachment because I've had enough. My district has had enough, and quite frankly, I think America's had enough. Well, I think you're exactly right. I think the American people um, are hip to what's going on here, and they want the impeachment as well. Because we think back to the Trump years, you and I both wholeheartedly support President Trump for re-election. And I want to get into that with you as well. Um, but, you know, the the left, they didn't even bother putting together a case of impeachment against Donald Trump because one didn't exist. And they actually moved ahead not once but twice with two bogus uh, impeachments of President Trump. This time you actually do have a president who uh, looks, uh, according to all of the mountains of evidence that we have seen, guilty of 
one, if not both, um, detailed points of impeachment articulated by the founders in the Constitution. The Constitution lays out that a president can and should be removed under the impeachment uh, process for bribery, treason, and then they put and other high crimes and misdemeanors. Well, it appears from what we have seen so far, Congressman, that Joe Biden is guilty of at least bribery, maybe treason, because he has sold us out to our worst enemies, including the CCP in China. So it seems to me pretty obvious that this is a path that we must go down to remove this president. Well, and not only that, so you talked about the money, you talk about his relationship with the Ukrainians and the Chinese and all that sort of thing. But then you go look at the southern border. So I was just down at the southern border, just south of Tucson. I literally crossed. I just strolled into Mexico and I was in a section of the border that's not even patrolled by our border patrol because it's too dangerous. It's a our cartel uh, controlled area. And I took videos and I took pictures because I wanted to show the American people Look, this thing is wide open. And so I went down there with some uh, former military guys, some special forces. Uh, they, they were obviously fully equipped uh, so that we were safe. But, you know, we, we were flying drones at night that had thermal capabilities. And we could see the cartel moving back and forth across the border. Meanwhile, our Border Patrol is asleep at the wheel. He's our chief executive officer. Biden is. He has an, a responsibility to secure our borders and to keep Americans safe. So every murder, every rape, every robbery that has been committed under the hands of illegal Joe Biden is complicit and an accomplice in allowing that to happen. And I, for one, am pissed off because I was just there and I saw it from my own eyes. And look, it is as bad as you think it is times 10. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned the border because that's yet another area that is ripe for impeachment and removal of this president, the dereliction of duty, the straight up negligence to enforce the border and defend the American people against the whole array of threats coming in across the border and elsewhere because nothing is being enforced. I mean, there are so many things to impeach this president on that I guess you guys in the House need to settle on one, which I suppose is going to be the the corruption related to the foreign money um, and the tens of millions of dollars that have flown uh, flowed into the Biden family uh, coffers here. But there are so many uh, aspects that you could attack. So what is the next step here? I know that the speaker has talked about an impeachment inquiry. Do we really need to waste time on an inquiry? What's your sense? Well, so I, I do know that that's the process or the, or the path that leadership wants to take is to, to vote first on a inquiry and kind of have a the, the formal process. My concern is, is I think it's a distraction uh, from and I want to be careful. We need to move forward with impeachment, but we need to do it quickly. The reason is, is we have this this spending fight. Uh, whether or not we have a continuing resolution, whether or not we have an omnibus bill where we get crammed by the Senate again, that fight is looming and we really need to be focusing and messaging on that. Meanwhile, we have a responsibility to uh, to impeach a president that has betrayed his country. So I think we need to move quickly, swiftly. Now, look, I, I'm, you know, I'm going to play nice at first if I have to. Uh, quite frankly, uh, you know, if, if, as long as they can move, begin the process of impeachment, I will be patient. But the moment they start stalling, I will go nuclear. I'll use the privilege motion. It is go time. And look, I've spent the last couple of weeks in my district traveling around, hearing from just regular folks, and they are sick and tired of it, and they want it now. 
And I, I can't tell you how many hugs and high fives and, and knuckle bumps that I've received for the fact that I was one of the ones that that is a hard charger, uh, am a hard charger on this impeachment process. And and so to, to your point, you know, thank you for all that you do. It's time to go. But uh, I, I don't think we should let this draw out. I think we should move swiftly. Well, thank God for you um, and your voice, not just representing Tennessee's 5th Congressional District, but in the halls of Congress and nationally, too, um, because we need fighters. We need people who get it, who are not in on it, who understand what we're up against here. So we really appreciate you. Can you speak to... Um, there is some Republican resistance to going down this impeachment path. Um, I know at least one who's been very vocal. He was all over the weekend uh, shows uh, Republican Congressman Ken Buck. He is your colleague. But he's saying, look, I haven't seen any evidence. Now, I, I don't know what he's looking at. His head almost <laughs> has got to be in the sand or he's compromised somehow. I don't know. But Representative Ken Buck has said he is not for impeachment. How many votes can you afford to lose? Uh, to voting for this in, uh, inquiry to go forward, and then the impeachment. Well, you know, I'm like you. I, I think um, he's not reading the same memos that I'm getting. Uh, the evidence is there. It's clear. Um, I've had one-on-one conversations with, uh, you know, uh, Chairman Comer on this issue uh, because I wanted to know the details. I wanted to hear it from the chairman. And so the information is there if you want to see it, if you want to find it. Uh, and, and Comer is a, is a great congressman willing to chat with any member on this issue. So that being said, you know, I would challenge my my colleague, Ken Buck, to say, hey, like you said, open your eyes, read the memo. The evidence is there. We need to move forward, meet, move swiftly. Uh, and that being said is um, I think ultimately you're going to see uh, Republicans come alongside and vote for impeachment. Uh, but like you said, we can only afford to lose a couple of votes uh, on this issue. We have a handful of members that are going to be out. Uh, and so our margin is very, very thin. Well, I mean, if this goes down, the hell to pay to the Republican Party, not you because you're fighting, but the hell that will be unleashed on the GOP will be beyond belief. I mean, it will really, the, the sense of anger that you're hearing from your constituents, it is nationwide, the frustration, uh, the disappointment. I mean, we've had it. We've had it. And it's time to fight this war the way the left fights this war. Well, and it speaks to what everybody realizes now, Republicans, Democrats, independents, and why Joe Biden's poll numbers are so so horrible, quite frankly, historic lows, uh, is that we, we have a two-tiered justice system. It's on full display. So w- you look how the, the woke DAs are, are weaponizing uh, you know, their offices to, to go after Trump. You look at the, the J6ers, whether you, you support them or don't, how they were held without due process. Then you look at the Biden crime family where they've received millions upon millions of dollars. Look, if you and I did that, we'd be stalemates and they would they would snatch us up up, up almost instantly. But the Bidens are just going to walk through this. They're going to stroll away from justice. And so we have to we have an obligation. We took an oath to to uphold the Constitution of the United States of America. And we have a president. The evidence is pointing to the fact that he is guilty and we have to hold him accountable. Now, my guess is the Senate won't do anything, but we as House members, we have an obligation. And I am committed to making sure that the House of Representatives moves forward on impeachment 
one way or the other. Well, thank you for that. We really appreciate that. I, I know I speak on behalf of so many Americans where we say thank you. Um, you, you know, speaking of the war that we're in, you have been very outspoken talking about how these multiple indictments of President Trump are a persecution, not a prosecution. These Soros DAs, the left, they've weaponized every aspect of our, our government, our society, our life. They're certainly engaged in lawfare against the former president. They want to derail him for next year. They do not want him uh, reelected or president. So you have taken the lead. And again, we thank you for putting your money where your mouth is, Congressman. You have put forward a bill to defund the special counsel, Jack Smith's salary. Where are we on that? Well, you know, it's in a holding pattern. Um, you know, the odds of being able, me being able to move that forward are, uh, uh, I, let's just say I'm paddling against the current. That that being said, I'm a fighter. I'm not going to back down. I'm going to keep pushing forward. And so so your audience knows the Holman rule is kind of a, an obscure rule uh, was, was put forward or created by William Holman. Uh, and what it allows, it allows the House of Representatives to defund uh, an agency or an office, uh, so like this district attorney, uh, if they're not fulfilling the duties of their job. And so I, I use that. We've seen other members of Congress uh, to do it as well since I've done it. And so, again, it's it's a bit of an obscure rule, but it's there for a reason. And and so, look, Jack Smith has uh, completely sold out his office to the left. He is obviously using his office to target Trump to try to keep him off the ballot. This uh, uh, is clearly, in my mind, uh, you know, affecting the outcome of an election or trying to impact the outcome of an election. So he's he, there's interference taking place. So again, the House of Representatives, we have an obligation. And look, you know, we have problems with elections in this country, but that is a state-driven issue, right? Uh, anytime you hear a congressman saying that uh, they're going to fix elections, run the other way. The moment that you federalize elections, then then the Democrats will have taken over. That being said, we can put up guardrails and we can defend this guy for interfering in the due process of Donald Trump. I think Donald Trump is going to prevail. Uh, I've been endorsed by Donald Trump. I endorsed Donald, Donald Trump myself. And uh, but he is going to win the, the November election, whether it's Biden or Newsom or Whitmer or whoever else they put up. Uh, he is our next president. And fortunately, fortunately so, because uh, Lord knows we need him. Uh, amen to all of that, <laughs> Congressman. Um, you know, I, I look at your fight and you're actually putting up bills to defund Jackson's salary and you're you're moving forward. You're leading the charge on impeachment. You will you will force everyone's hand with a privileged motion if you have to. Uh, you've got some colleagues who are joining you in this fight. I think of Marjorie Taylor Greene, Matt Gates. Um, there are a number of others. But why so few of you? I mean, I, I know you don't want to speak badly of your colleagues. I get that. But, you know, given how late the hour is in America and the nature of this fight that we are in and the fact that the country is at a tipping point where if we go over the edge, it's completely irreversible. We will not be able to get America back. Um, do they just not understand this? Is it political cowardice? How do you explain sort of the lack of fight on the part of so many of your colleagues? Well, you know, I think part of that for me is is one personality driven. You know, I was a county mayor uh, during COVID in Tennessee, the county executives, county mayors. Uh, it's an interchangeable title. Uh, it's kind of like a mini governor. We had the authority for mandates and shutdowns. And 
I refused to comply. I kept my community open. So, you know, I, I've, I've been in fight mode uh, since I was elected as a county executive, and that translates to what I'm doing in Congress. But but you're seeing others come to the fight. I mean, Stubby out of Florida has uh, put forward articles of impeachment. Uh, Ronnie Jackson has been outspoken here of late. And so I think you're seeing more and more members of Congress saying, OK, guys, you know, like, you know, one, we all have a lot on our plate. I understand that. But the frustration is in the halls of Congress, amongst the conservatives in Congress, that we need to move. We need to move aggressively and boldly. And, and I think that's the challenge is sometimes you look at history and people are afraid, well, if I speak out boldly, then, you know, there, there's some sort of consequence that I have to pay. Right. But from my perspective, I'm going to do the right thing for the right reasons. Then I'm going to stand in the gap and whatever happens, happens. And, and and if that sends me home at the end of the day, I'm a good with that. I went up, I went to D.C. to fight. I went to D.C. to keep them away from my children and my community. And that, by George, is what I'm going to do. And if that means getting a little messy, rolling up my sleeves and pissing a few people off, then that's what I'm going to do. I didn't go to D.C. to make friends. I went to D.C. to fight. I have I have friends. I have church. I have community back home here in Tennessee. And so, look, uh, but I think you're seeing, you know, courage is contagious. And I think you see that starting to spread on the Republican side of the aisle. And uh, I have hope. Uh, I, I look back at our founding fathers. There, you know, there, there were moments in time when the fight was futile and that they should have just given up, but they never did. They kept pushing forward. They kept fighting. They kept doing the right thing and they never lost hope. And they were blessed by the Lord because of it. And that's what we're going to do in the, in the halls of Congress. I wish we could clone you, Congressman, and make 535 <laughs> of you, get some of you over to the Senate <laughs> where we need you as well. Uh, no, we really appreciate your fight. Speaking of fight, um, it looks like the Biden administration is going to uh, try to reimpose the COVID medical tyranny on us. You know, all signs sort of point to uh, maybe not full-blown lockdown, again, but mask mandates on airplanes and, and so on. As a mayor, before you entered Congress, as I mentioned, you did fight all of this. You opposed all of it in Tennessee. Um, what is your sense of where the administration is going on this? What can we expect? And how will you and the rest of your Republican colleagues in Congress fight it? Well, uh, I've got four words for you. I will not comply. Um, and so uh, we will use every tool at our disposal to defund, to cut back and to stop this nonsense uh, when it comes to shutdowns and lockdowns. All the data, uh, you know, kind of that after action report points to the fact that, uh, you know, the shutdowns, the lockdowns, the masking did much, much more harm than good. And uh, if if he tries to move down this path, and quite frankly, I don't think the American people will buy it. But if he tries to move down this path, there's there's one reason why he's doing it. And that's to try to give cover for the election uh, that's coming up. And again, uh, there there will be kind of a political revolt, if you will, if they move forward. The, and the polling numbers that I'm seeing just don't support anything along these lines with the Biden administration. Well, you know, I think that's true. Uh, but in the Senate, you had, I think, Senator Mike Lee introduced a bill to prohibit uh, mask mandates right. on transportation, airplanes and so on. Um, and some Republicans, I guess, joined with Democrats that they killed it. Um, do you expect... This to really ramp up, is that your sense, that the Biden administration is going to try to do this? I, they have gotten I, some I, blowback, and so they've kind of walked some of this back. Yeah, yeah. 
I, I think that I think they're going to hedge. Uh, quite frankly, you know, they kind of started down this path. The blowback from both sides of the aisle was uh, clear uh, and concise. Quite frankly, and so I. I I just don't think that they can get away with it. The American people aren't going to tolerate it. And look, you might have some blue cities that will comply, but most of the country won't. And for a president whose polling numbers are already so atrocious, this this does nothing but hurt Democrats. So if he wants to try it, so be it. But it only helps us at the ballot box. Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, before we let you go, Congress is back this week. I think a lot of people hold their heads and say, oh, no. Oh, man, it's so much better when Congress is not in session. Um, you mentioned the budget fight. Uh, September 30th is the drop dead date. What can we expect there? And if you could also give us uh, a little bit of an overview of the legislative agenda between now and, say, the end of the year. Yeah, it's good. It's going to be, uh, I would say, uh, you know, as if we were on a, a, an airplane, uh, the seatbelt sign is on, buckle up, there's turbulence ahead. Uh, we're in for a fight. Uh, I being one of the fiscal conservatives, uh, I'm going to fight for, uh, you know, fiscal constraint and cutting back on some of the spending. I, I know that we can't go as bold as you and I would like to, but we, we've got to start moving the needle in that direction. And so, look, uh, I'm not afraid of a government shutdown. Like you said, you know, if the government is not in session, if Congress is not in session, then then we're not wasting your money. And so it's not the end of the world. Most of our spending is on autopilot anyway, all of the essential things. And so with that, uh, yeah, it's going to be rocky. I mean, you're going to see probably a push for continuing resolution, which is a short-term funding mechanism. The problem with that is it really sets up this idea of another omnibus package and uh, again, I'm going to fight uh, like the Dickens to stop both of those uh, and actually get some substantive pieces of legislation. You know, I was one of the 20. I fought for the rules package. We were supposed to have 12 appropriations bills, and here we are at the last hour, and we don't have them complete. Uh, there, there was promises made, and I expect those promises to be kept. And so that's where the fight's going to be over. Well, excellent. Um, we really appreciate your fight, uh, your presence in Congress, not just representing your district, but also representing all of us, um, you know, who need, we need more warriors like you, because again, you know, we're, we're so far past the, the point of no return. We do have a little bit of hope left, but it's because of individuals like you, Congressman, who are out there fighting these fights all day long. We thank you so much. We appreciate you, and I hope you'll come back. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Terrific. Congressman Andy Ogles, representing Tennessee's 5th Congressional District, member of the House Freedom Caucus and the House Financial Services Committee. You can find him on X, also known as Twitter, at Andy Ogles, O-G-L-E-S. Go follow him. He is phenomenal, as you heard. Okay, guys, thank you so much for being here today. That's going to do it for me. I am off to near Harper's Ferry, West Virginia, to join the great Tim Pool on TimCast, TimCast.com, uh, to see it live streamed 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time tonight. So I will see you there. Tell everybody, check it out, and tell everybody to check out this show as well. I will see you right back here on Thursday when we're going to be joined by the fabulous Riley Gaines. Have a great day. This episode of the Monica Crowley podcast was produced by Bahakel Entertainment, LLC.